Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly, for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. so glad to see all of you here. It feels full. It feels festive. It feels like we're finally at the end of our Babylonian captivity in the activity center. I'm very grateful that we're going to be back in the sanctuary next week. It looks beautiful, and I think you guys are going to be not only impressed and grateful with how it looks, but I think that it's going to do um, it's going to have an impact on the way that we minister to others. So I want to thank you guys for, the, for going with us for showing up, for being here, for struggling through some of the interesting light choices and how we do things now. This has really been uh, good and grateful, so I'm, uh, thank you very much. So today we start a new series, okay? This series is called Portraits of Grace, and it focuses on the metaphors that God uses in the New Testament for his church. Much of what God tells us is actually by analogy. I mean, think about it. God is a being that is totally other, that every perfection here on earth finds its source and perfection in him. And so however we seek to understand him through the finite human language, it will always fall short of who he really is. And this is sort of an idea of the word, uh, um, that's the word I'm looking for. I had it and I lost it. Bottom line is, someone shout it out if you know what I'm about to say. We are unable to describe God in words. Thank you. His ineffability. God is ineffable. That means that when we talk about God, no matter what we say, we always fall short of who he really is. We always fall short of actually getting to the absolute essential component and understanding him. After all, he's infinite and we are finite. So God uses metaphors. And in the New Testament, the church is described through a series of these metaphors. These metaphors, as I named them before, are body, building, uh, branches, Bride, priesthood, family, and house. I got them all. In house. They give us a different picture. They portray a different image. They paint a different portrait of who we really are in Christ and who we should be here at the corner of Berkeley and Eggleston. You see, we should strive each day to embrace who we are as the church of God. We should seek to model who we are after what he has said about us in the New Testament. So some of you are visiting today. When you come into the church, you should see one or more of these aspects of the seven portraits of God's church here in Grace Bible Church. For those of us who are members of this church, who've been at this church for a long time, we should be seeking each day to exemplify as we come together as a body, as a family, as a bride, who God says we are and who we are is the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of the word church. Not just think of grace, but more abstractly. When you think of the word church, what do you think of? I mean, my first, probably, inclination is to think of a steeple. A steeple. 
Or maybe a place where Christians go together to worship each week. Or maybe it's some sort of building or location. Or maybe you think of a church as more of, it's not necessarily a bad thing, a social club. A place where all your friends are. A place where you go to catch up about how the week went. A place where you feel belonging and a place that you help others feel the same way. Or maybe it's a place of like-minded people who, in some sense, when you come to church, you can escape what's actually going on in the world out there and find a safe place. In fact, the word sanctuary gives that connotation, doesn't it? When we talk about a, a wildlife sanctuary, a place where animals go to be safe, to be secure from the dangers of the outside world. Maybe your understanding of the church is right in line with the scripture and I don't have to preach any of this at all. I'm pretty sure that's not the case. We all have places that we can adjust our understanding about who we are and who we should be in Christ as his church here on earth. This is an important topic because we need to know who we're supposed to be if we're enjoying all of the blessings of being part of God's church, of Christ's church. This is also important because it helps us stave off resentment when we're not getting what we think we deserve. You see, a resentment is based off of an expectation unmet. And there are times, I think, myself included, when I come to church or when I think of the church, I think of a place where everyone is to be kind, loving, gentle, patient, in other words, perfect and not like me. And then when somebody is not kind, gentle, patient, or perfect towards me, then I feel a justifiable reason to hold a resentment. But when we look at the church, and frankly, when we're honest, we're a bunch of broken people who have found our ultimate source of salvation and healing in Jesus Christ, but none of us have arrived. And so we need to know what that means and what to expect about how we show love to others, how we interact with others, but also how we can expect to be interacted with as well. So today, for our first message, we're going to be talking about probably the most common uh, name for common metaphor of the Christ, uh, Church of Christ, and that is the body of Christ, the body. Today we'll be out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to a church in, in Corinth that is struggling with sort of identity. What does it mean to be the church of Christ? And they had some misunderstandings about what that means. First of all, they had some real moral issues going on. There was a lot of sexual immorality happening in the church. But also, and probably just as significant in the letter, is they were having a hard time understanding how to work together using the gifts that God had given them and how they were to interact in humility and love toward one another, particularly as they related between Jew and Gentile as well. So let's start. Verse 12. This is chapter 12, verse 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. The first lesson we need to learn from this text is that the church is an organism. The church is an organism. I want you to think of the human body. This is the phrase that Paul is using. The human body. The body is made up of hundreds, thousands, if we count cells, trillions of parts that all work together in concert 
to make the body function properly. And sometimes the smallest part of the body can have the largest impact. I want you to think of these small cells in the pancreas called islets of Langerhans. These are the source of insulin that are produced in the human body. They're microscopic. You can only see them through a microscope. Yet their function is essential to the health of the body. If those are not functioning properly, we have diabetes. And we know all of the ravages that diabetes can have on the body. This essential little piece is part of a greater whole. When I was in the military, I was in the medical field for many years, and I was always just enamored with the idea of the body and how it functions. This was even before I was a believer. How everything was so intricately interconnected, and one piece's failing could have catastrophic effects elsewhere in the body. So for instance, another example would be the clotting cascade. When we nick ourselves shaving or we cut ourselves doing something and we begin to bleed what has begun as a process of at least 14 or 15 steps called the clotting cascade. And each step is predicated on the proper functioning of the one before. You miss one of the steps, you have no clotting. You get things like hemophilia because of a, a lack of a certain factor in the body. And you get things that go along with unstopped bleeding. Every little piece and function of the human body works together to ensure that the whole functions properly, and so it is with the church. We are a conglomeration of people who have been called, children of God, parts of a whole that have been called to come together to form one unity that is Christ. You see, when we place our faith in Christ, we are immediately grafted into his body. When we come before the Lord and we say, Lord, I realize who I am, I realize who you are, I, I ask you, Lord, save me, save me. At that moment, the Holy Spirit has indwelt us. And the Holy Spirit has marked us, engrafted us into the body of Christ, into the church. We are here because of his grafting us into his body. You know, virtually every organism has a central governing structure. In the cells, it's the nucleus, right? The nucleus governs, and that is even governed by DNA. In the human body, it's the brain. The brain does much of the coordination and governing of bodily functions. Well, in the church, it's the head. And our head is Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, and 23 says, And God placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Think about that. As we assemble here together as a corporate body of believers, we are a manifestation of the actual body of Christ. Christ is here in this room. He dwells in our hearts, and we come together and form him for the world to see. Jesus Christ is the head of our body. He governs the body and coordinates both its growth and its function. This is a truth that we really need to embrace as a church. No amount of organizational change, should I say stage remodeling, increased budgets, polished speakers, will get the church to grow without the governance and superintendence of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can do everything right. We can read church building books. We can learn how to be a better, more efficient organization. We can apply everything that we've learned either in the world or in the church from other believers here in this place and the church absolutely dwindle. 
If the Lord is not functioning among us through our unity as the body of Christ, then it will never accomplish what she's intended to accomplish. That is to be a manifestation of the redemption that is in our Lord. Jesus said that he will build his church, not us. Today, this week in our staff meeting, we had this discussion. I was getting the sense, and I've had gotten this sense throughout my ministry from time to time, that I was running either ahead of the Lord or that I was taking way too much ownership on the results of what we were doing in our meetings. In other words, let's plan what we're going to do, and then at the end, ask Lord to sort of put his stamp on it and say, Lord, bless this. Instead of coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, what is it that you would have us do for this church? How do you want us to be? What, where do you want us to foray into? What areas? What sections? And only then, seeking to strike out. We can do everything right and still dwindle because the Lord is not in it. Many churches today, there is a push to fill seats. After all, lighting, programs, parking lots, landscaping, buildings, inflation, it's expensive. It's expensive. That push to look for people as the resource in order to make the church grow to get more people, it's this never-ending cycle. More people, more money, bigger programs, more stuff, let's keep going. Now, I would like to believe that what we see on social media, on the television, what we do when we visit other churches, what we're doing here is rooted firmly and entirely in the love of Jesus Christ. That every decision we make is filtered through, does this honor the Lord? Is this where the Lord wants us to go? Am I doing this because I love Jesus or I'm doing this because I love church? There's a big difference. But it's not always clear. There are ways of growing a church, the body, in number. But there's only way to grow the church in depth. And this says it's the love of Jesus Christ. I believe this means that not only do we, are we motivated by love unto Christ and his people, but we're motivated by his love for us. It says that Jesus makes our church, our body, his body, grow up together, be knit together in love. Ephesians 4.16 Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in Christ, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This means that our impetus for our work in the church, for our place in the body, for the way that we function and react and relate towards others around us must always be rooted in the love of Christ. Always. Any other motivation, any other motivation pushes us off track. Now, many of us have done ministries within the church for a long time. We find our identity. That's me. I do X ministry. I've done X ministry for many years, and this is where I find I've most fulfilled. Now, many of us believe we're called to that, and that's important. We should be only doing that which, to which we are called by the Lord. But it's so easy, and I'm speaking from one who has experienced this and still does. It's so easy to find our identity in what we're doing instead of who we are. And when we begin to do that, the work of the ministry, the fruit that we're hoping to see that comes from a result of love of Jesus Christ comes from our motivation and need to find our identity someplace else. And it can be dangerous. It is dangerous. 
This is how we see people on TV. I say megachurches all the time, but it's just because the world loves to proclaim when Christians fail. They just will put it out there everywhere and see they're no better than us, right? And the truth is, is we know we're not. The truth is, is Christ is, though. And by virtue of his death for us, we have what we have and we are who we are. But you look at those ministries, and sometimes even ministries here and elsewhere, they're motivated by human impulse, by human motivation, by human desire to grow. And in the end, they're nothing but chaff. They do nothing to grow us deeper. Though the body is an organism, it's also organized. The tendency here is to say that because we're an organism in Christ, and Christ is the one who builds us up, we should avoid any attempts to impute any type of organizational principles on it. In other words, look, Jesus is our head, we're the body, we're going to let him lead, and whatever happens, happens. This misunderstands the biblical data and misunderstands the way that God chooses to work in the world. That is through his people. God chooses to work through his people. In Acts, the apostles appointed others to deal with day-to-day issues of the church because the apostles were saying that it was taking us away from that which God has called us to, namely study of the word and prayer. And so they called men, faithful men, together to say, look, from the, the day-to-day issues, people are coming for food, people are coming for tangible help, we'd like you to be responsible for those people. That is a form of organization. They divided the roles along organizational lines. God uses our efforts to affect the world. Just because Christ promises to build his church does not mean that we don't do anything. It means that we work in love unto him and leave the results to him. The results. We relinquish ultimate control. And we give it back to him where it always has been. Because in the end, our, our belief that we're controlling something is delusional. <laughs> delusional. How many of us live our life like that? As if every choice we make is going to have exactly the effect that we hope. That every foray into someone else's business is going to produce what we think is best. We have a lot less control that we have than we think we have. And so we should just give it to the Lord and leave it to the Lord. So the body is an organism. We're an organism of disparate parts together to form a unified whole. The second thing, each person in this church is vital, vital to the health of the body. Not important, vital. Verse 15, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the eye should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, and Paul goes on to specifically say, every one of them. Every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. Listen to what Paul is saying here. Paul is not speaking from the perspective of people in the church looking and saying, who belongs here? He's speaking from the perspective of somebody coming into the church and saying, where do I fit in? Do I belong here? Your feelings of belonging do not dictate whether or not you are a part of this church. This says just because you feel you don't belong doesn't mean that you're not. You are because you're grafted in the moment you believe. You are part 
by God's grace and essential even when it doesn't feel like it. Christ earned your seat to sit in this church. And nothing that you bring here or don't bring here is going to change it. Because our Lord brought you here and got this seat, bought this seat with his own blood. So sit in it. Sit in it. Embrace every aspect of what that means. No, God called me here. This is my seat. This is what he's called me to do. So I'm going to step out in faith and do it. We spend a lot of time looking at other people and how they are. Oh, that person knows so much about theology. Oh, that person has so much money. Oh, that person speaks so well and he's so erudite or she's so erudite. So then we get small, don't we? We don't want to speak up for fear of looking stupid, for fear of not being as cool or whatever as others. I mean, this is anything. We're all, a lot of us in our 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, it still feels like we're in middle school sometimes, doesn't it? We spend a lot of time looking at other people wanting to be one of the cool kids instead of embracing the fact that God has put us here through Christ's blood. And we're part of his body no matter what. No matter what. The truth is, is that this attitude of self-doubt or focusing on differences instead of similarities can be pride disguised as humility. We don't say anything. We don't speak out. We get little And we cloak it in something called pseudo-humility when in fact it's actually pride. It's an overly sensitive sense of ego. It's a self-centered focus that says, I am not as good as them. I don't belong here. I am different. Instead of glorifying God who brought you here and made everybody special. Romans 12, 4 and 5. For in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of it. Comparing our value to others is sinful. Sinful. We are all valuable in the eyes of God. Not just our person, but in our roles as well. We all have important functions to play. Some of you might say, well, what am I doing here? What do I do? I would say there's something. Find it. Some of us will say, well, I'm not called to get up and preach. I'm not called to lead a Bible study. I'm not called to lead a growth group or to be any... But God's probably called you to something else. I don't know, prayer? If prayer is actually important as we make it, then this would probably be the most important role in all of the church. God has a place for you. Christ has put you here. There is no doubt that each of us have gifts in certain areas that are meant to complement the rest of the body. Looking at our main text today, it says, nothing of wishing that we were another organ. It never says, I'm an ear, I wish I was an ear. It says, I'm an ear. I don't belong here. We're gifted exactly as the Lord desires us. This relates to, listen, our age, our gender, our personality types. Each is necessary and vital. Some of you are absolute lions who are ready to conquer, who are ready to just strike out before, like we're we're crossing the minefield of life, right? Some of you are like 50 meters ahead, running out through the mines. We're just going to get to the other side. Others of you are, let's stop and think about this for a second. We need to map out where every mine is, and we can do it through triangulation and trigonometry. So let's use, right? The truth is, is we got to go across the field. There's no way we cannot. But it does not mean that we run out brazenly, and it does not mean that we're paralyzed by fear. Some of you are caregivers. It's obvious. 
It's obvious. You love and desire to love others well. You go out of your way to be hospitable. Others of you, that's not your strength. Others of you, it might be more in, well, what are the rules here? How do we function within rules? Others might say, how can we do this most perfectly? And others might say, how can we just keep the peace? Because there's bound to be some fighting here. All of these roles are essential for our body to function well. Imagine if we were a church that never crossed the minefield. We would do nothing for God. Imagine we were a church that ran out brazenly and we wouldn't be here. We would self-destruct. The way God has made you and the way God has gifted you and the gender God has made you is exactly who he intended you to be for the functioning of his body. Just talking to somebody today. They said, you know, when I'm in women's Bible study, everyone's piping up. Everyone's got something to say. But as soon as men come into the equation, it becomes a men's Bible study with some women sitting there as well. And it should not be like that. This person was speaking and they said, well, the summation of it, I think, is that there's this sense of intimidation. This sense of, well, what do I have to contribute to the conversation? What could I possibly add to it? For lack of a better term, just to be, that's garbage. (laughs) That's garbage. God works through all of us through his spirit and everybody is vital to the function. There are times when I'm doing sermon prep and you probably sense this. I'll get like too abstract. Okay, I'll be talking about something too much in the principles area and I'll share it with someone and they'll say the most obvious thing. Obvious thing. And I have to run back to my computer and make sure that I put it in because I know that that is going to be the question on 50% of your minds that I would have forgotten or not addressed. This women issue was one of them. It was one of them. When we come together, what we have to say about God's word, how God is showing us how to apply this in our own lives, how we understand our own perspective with relation to the gospel and to the, the Bible, is important. Is important. When I was uh, in prison and we did Bible studies, the men who came in to do Bible studies were very, and I say this in a, the most positive way, but they were just very simple. They're like, look, let's do Bible study. How many, let's count. There's nine people here. We left off at Romans 3.12. We're going to read nine verses, and then we'll talk about it. Everyone got a verse to read, and we talked. And it's opened, and once we were done reading, and the question was, well, what do you think about that? In some of the most in-depth, profound, formative conversations I've ever had in my life, the place that made me me, the place where God called me to be who I am today, were through those conversations. A bunch of inmates that were not doing Bible study not that long before, I can tell you that. Yet God worked through those conversations. God worked through those words. God worked through his word and us coming together as a body to talk about it. Third lesson. Not only is every person in the church essential to the vital functioning of it, that means everybody is necessary. Every person in the church is of equal value. There's a difference here. And when you think about the human body, some of you would say, yeah, I realize that every part is necessary, but I'm just an appendix, and that person's a lung, right? It doesn't work like that in the body of Christ. Everybody is valuable, and everybody's place and role and giftedness is valuable. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, 
Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Modesty. Well, our presentable parts need no special treatment. No part of the body is greater or better than any other. Like I said, what about the appendix? In science, it's called a vestigial organ, one that sort of was just left over after evolution made, made humans into what they are. This appendix sort of was just left. And for years, we would just take it out. It would get inflamed or infected. We'd run to surgery and we would take these things out. What they're coming out, what they're seeing now in research is that removing the appendix is not always the best. Sometimes just treating with antibiotics. And also what they're realizing is that the appendix may play a much greater role in the immunodefense of the human body. In other words, that it houses and holds an immune response there and protects the whole body, this little sac potentially has an entire, a, a tremendous role in the health of the body. Some of you might think you're just a minor organ, <laughs> when in reality you are something different. Some of you, I know, because I see glimpses of it, you think you're appendices, you think you're an appendix, but you are gifted in a way, and God has built you in a way for something different. Something more, maybe. I know it's easy to say when I ask people or when others ask people to serve, I'd like you to lead this. I don't know how many people say, well, I'm not a leader. <laughs> I'm not a leader. Oftentimes, the nature of leadership is that it's hidden until it's cultivated. That when people get out of their own way, leadership comes out. And many of us here have gifts that we don't know that we have yet. And when we come together as a body and we challenge one another, we begin to see that, oh, maybe the Lord has built me differently. Maybe my role is different than what it is right now or what I think it is right now. We need each other. We need each other's gifts. We need each other's perspectives. We need each other's love. We need to take this seriously because God does. You are valuable and you have a function in the church that only you can fulfill and, you, and we all need you to fulfill it. We need you to fulfill it. This is the role of our spiritual gifting. The moment you were saved, God indwelt you with his Holy Spirit and he gave you a spiritual gift or gifts. That spiritual gift was specifically intended to be used for the purpose of the church. Not necessarily Grace Bible Church, this local church, but the church generally. That we are called to build each other up through the way that God has gifted us. And at times... We're not doing that. We're not doing that. No person in this church is more important, important than any other person in this church. Because we're an organism and we function together, we're all part of one body. And in the end, when you really come down to it, we're all on a level playing field. Our sin is the greatest of all equalizers. Every single one of us was absolutely helpless helpless without Jesus Christ. But then God, then Christ intervened on our behalf. All of us are on an equal playing field. Little grace or big grace, we still have grace. Everyone has received grace. Verse 24, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, 
but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. God gives sufficient grace to bridge the gap between Christ and them, regardless of the person. One, like I think it's me, who has lived sinful life, sinful life, has received greater grace than some of you who have been saved since you were a little kid and didn't have a lot of the things. Many of you didn't commit felonies and become a drug addict and live life in the fast lane. That's putting it nicely. So some of you have a difficult time relating to a testimony like mine. The bottom line is, is that we all needed grace because we were all sinners. And Christ bought our seat here for us. The one who needs more grace in our church should get it from us. The one who needs less grace should get that same grace from us. I've read in several places, in cultures around the world, that there is a sense that people who are different and markedly different, people who we would call in some way special needs here, were often exempt from the slaughter that came with intertribal battle. That when one tribe would war against another tribe, when they were coming to totally subsume and overtake this other people, when there was someone who was different, they called them touched. That in some way they had a deeper connection with God. I think the same holds true for us. I think that is a glimpse that we see in the natural world that finds its fullest truth and fulfillment here in the church. It says people who lack honor, those who we would see in this way, actually have greater honor by God, are shown greater honor. So how are we showing greater honor to people in our midst, whether or not they're special needs or they're just hard to get along with? Because there are people in this church who are hard to get along with. There's people in this church who are great to get along with. The bottom line is, is that we all need to be showing honor and grace to one another. We're part of the same body. We are one, whether or not we realize it. This is what I think about sometimes. I think, and it says, because we're all one, we are all united. And what affects one person affects the other person. What's going on in your life that nobody here knows about? You know what I'm talking about? It's in your head right now. You're thinking about it. That thing that you do at home, that thing that you struggle with, that idea or recurring thought, something that you're dealing with is affecting everybody else in the church whether or not they even know about it. Isn't that amazing? We're an organism and connected by one spirit. That means that you have a responsibility. Let me say it like this. We have a responsibility to you to love you. We have a responsibility to point you to Jesus. We have a responsibility to walk you through the things that you're doing, things that you're struggling with, the things that you're thinking, feeling. But we got to know. We got to know. What if we were a church when we came in, this was not just a social club. What if we were a church that when visitors came, they're like, what is going on here? These people love each other. There's like no question. They like love each other. Sometimes when people come into the church, they get a sense that, yeah, everyone likes each other. But it can sometimes come with that sense of this is a social club and I need to have my theology on straight. I need to say my words the right way. I need to be dressed a certain way in order for me to fulfill my part of being in this body. Christ bought your seat. You belong here. That means, according to his word, we treat those who need greater honor with greater honor. Verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, then every part rejoices with it. 
Dysfunction in one part of the body affects the health of the whole. The health of the whole. We're in this together. We're all part of Christ. Let's live like it. The church is an organization. Every person in the body is vital to the health of the church. And every person in the church is of equal value. One of the most profound ways for me as I read about this, as I studied this, about what it means to be part of the body of Christ relates to communion. And this is what we're going to do now. It says in 1 Corinthians 10.14, just before this, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Paul says, I'm speaking to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And listen, and is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? When we do communion, I always like when COVID has sort of prevented this, but I always like the idea of having a single loaf that everybody pulls from. Because it reminds us of the truth that Christ's body is our body, that our body is Christ's body. And when we take bread from that same loaf, it, remembers, it reminds us where we derive our sustenance, each of us. Not in our talents, not in some books, not in our abilities, in Christ, the true bread of heaven, and in Christ alone. It says, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. So even though we're going to take communion with these, I want you to imagine this came out of the same loaf-making machine or something, the same, the same lump, the same lump. This is us partaking of the same body as we celebrate this. On the day that, night before Christ was betrayed, he took bread and wine, and he gave thanks unto the Lord with it. In heaven, blessed, he says, every time you take of this, I want you to do this in remembrance of me because this wine represents my blood that is shed for the remission of sins. The blood is the life in the body and I died for you. My blood was shed that you might live. And the bread represents my body that is the life that I give back to you. The life because he lived the perfect life in accordance with God's perfect will is imputed to us. And now we nourish and find our nourishment in him and our righteousness in him. So what I want us to do, don't take it yet. Normally we take, you guys are some going off rogue on me now. Now listen, <laughs> normally that's what we do. Normally that's what we do. We say that in a moment between you and the Lord, confess your sins, have a conversation with him, and then when you're ready, go ahead and take the elements. Today I want to do a little bit differently, okay? I'm going to have Michael come up. This is new. Michael didn't know this. I'm going to have Michael come up, and I'm going to have him play some background music for us, okay? And we're going to do exactly what we do in the past. We're going to talk about, talk to the Lord. Lord, what is it that you have for me? What am I doing? What do I need to confess? How can I be different? We're going to do it together. And after a moment, I'm going to say his body, and we'll all take it together. Then he's going to continue to play. I want you to give thanks to the Lord for what he's done for you. And then when we're done, I will say his blood, and we'll all take his blood together, okay? And then when we're done, we're going to praise the Lord who saved us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for the elements. Father, I thank you, Lord, for uh, the gifts of this bread and this juice. Ultimately, Lord, them, but really what they point to, the gift of your son. 
because you so love the world, Lord, you sent your only son, Jesus, that he would die on our behalf, that we would find eternal life. And today, Lord, we admit that as his body, there are times when we want to go our own way and pull our own direction. Lord, we teach us that it's bigger than just us. It's more than just about us. It's about him. And Lord, as we spend this time in, in conversation with you, Lord, make us, make us see what you see. Make us understand what you understand about us and our situation and our lives. Give us a fresh perspective and help us trust Christ even more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.